Romans chapter 2, and we're going to continue our series on grace, amazing grace, and I'm so excited about next week's Meaningful Relationship Seminar. And how God's just going to bless that. I love th- I love doing things by faith because when you do things by faith, there's always God's factor of surprising you in the matter. You know, Becca's back there. She's moving up here in the summer. In the summer, we're going to start seeing her more and more often as the spring months uh, come. But she's moving up here and. Um, Wesley Benoit's already moved here, but he's working today. And uh, and then Kyle and his family are going to be moving up here in May. So we're just excited about what God's doing, adding to the body here and uh, just meeting folks. And it's just really great to see. Um, uh, I mean, have, has everyone met our brother Oscar here from Costa Rica? It's just great to have him here with us. And uh, he represents a Hispanic um, body of, of believers that's come into our fold of fellowship and uh um and it's also great to see i think i thought i saw candy is candy here it's great to see candy and she's just recovering from some major major surgery uh just thank you for her prayers for that and she's just such a she is such a soldier unbelievable (laughs) amazing trooper and um and uh, yeah she's really good to see you and her husband, who is the most patient person on the planet. I don't mean that Candy's a person to be patient for. Got to, I could have backtracked a little bit on that. All right, let's go to Romans chapter 2. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, yes, Candy is a high energy, high vision, people lover, and has a gift to uh, feed ducks. Have you ever been to their house? To, went to their house one time and they showed us all the ducks. I think there's like, I, I think now she's got a flock of 3,000 ducks that she feeds every week. And yeah, the, the animal services have had to come to their house, I think. No, I'm kidding. Romans chapter 2, verse 15. And I'd just like to talk briefly, not briefly, well, yeah, probably briefly. A little bit, yeah. Judy's just giving me the five-minute warning <clears throat> that about grace and in specific, in particular, about performance. We live in a society today that really evaluates people and values people based on what they can do and what they cannot do. Uh, we see this <clears throat> philosophy permeated. Can I get a glass of water, please? <clears throat> we have this philosophy permeating our society, permeating churches permeating our educational system, permeating our athletics. We see this uh, system of performance permeating marriage, family, children, and, of course, in every area of relationships. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about that and how that is so anti-grace and how God does not expect from us performance but trust. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 For when the Gentiles, which are you and I, because we're not Jewish, who do not have the law, by nature do the things in the law. Think about that. You and I were not given the law of Moses. 
That was given to the Jews. God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, to Moses for the Jewish nation. And then the... Um, the uh, the big question mark that the apostles had at the beginning of the church was how do all these Gentiles who are not Jewish, how do they, uh, how do we, where do they fit in this whole picture of salvation? Because salvation first came to the Jews. And so the apostles had several councils and meetings and discussions about this. And God had to spend quite a bit of time educating Peter and Paul regarding how the Gentiles fit in the picture. And it was not an easy education for, the, for Peter and for Paul, but eventually they understood that the Jews have received, uh, that Jesus came to the Jews first, they rejected their Savior, and now salvation has gone out to the Gentile, to us, non-Jews. And so today, when you look at the Ten Commandments, that's all great, but that is not for the believer, for you and I, to try to attempt to do that is an Old Testament. Uh, that is an Old Testament uh, set of laws that were given to the nation of Israel. Jesus came to bring in a new law, which is the Spirit of Life and the Law of Love. That He came with His ministry onto this earth, and so we don't have this law, but we act like we do have a law, don't we? If you look at our society from a bird's eye view, from a satellite view of our society. We have laws. We have civil laws, of course, for, so, for um, national order. And then we also have social laws. And if you don't believe that, then try to um, paint your house bright pink on your street and see what people's response will be. Uh, if you don't clean up your front lawn or if you, are, uh, if you, um, if you do strange things in a, in, a, in a shopping mall, you will be Im immediately confronted with social laws and taboos. Um, there are things that are acceptable and unacceptable. And these are, these are laws. There's two types of laws that we're talking about here. The first type of law we, we, of course, know is the religious law. And that is the law that was given to uh, the Jews. And we know that very well. But there's another law, and that is more on the level of social, cultural uh, laws, um, educational laws, financial laws. These are all laws that are like the law of gravity, that if we were to drop this remote, and we won't because it's, it's expensive. Uh, if we drop this, it's not going to go up, is it? It's going to go down every time. You drop this 10,000 times, and 10,000 times it's going to go in the same direction and have the same result. Because this is an unchangeable law, the law of gravity. And so when we say laws, there are laws like that do not change, no matter how we want to change them. And these are laws that, in Romans chapter 2, are in our nature, okay? You look at kids, and you can see their little social laws developing in a classroom. Yeah, right? You can see, like... Who taught these kids like that? Where do they? It's in them. It's a set of laws that children um, already have imprinted in them because of several different things of their upbringing, their DNA, their parents, and the environment of their homes, etc. So it's in us already these laws. And so, and let's read the rest of the verse. Although not having the Ten Commandments or the law, they are a law to themselves. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts? their conscience, 
And so the law is already in there. There are these laws that are in people, though they've never been educated about them. And it's in them, and it's in their hearts, and it's in their conscience. Are you following me? You, you, are you following me? If, you, if I'm going too fast, just raise your hand and say, slow down. Or um, give me a sign, and I'll slow down. And it, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, bearing witness. And what's the result of this law? Their thoughts are either accusing them or excusing them. And so the conscience does one of two things. It excuses us or it accuses us. It excuses other people or it accuses other people. So let's, let's go into this main point that we want to talk about, that we already have these sets of laws. And the law inside of a person always results in what? What does the law always result in? Think about it for a second. When a person breaks the law, what is there? There's consequence. There's another word that begins with J, though. Yeah. J- jail. <laughs> jail. Justice. Judgment. Jail. All big J words. Okay. Jail. Justice. Judgment. These are. These are. These are. These are what happens when the law is broken. And I don't want to talk about the religious law right now. I don't want to talk about. Laws that you and I live in that are not laws that are laws according to grace. It is possible that we go to greater grace and live loving grace and write things about grace on our Facebook and and say grace words to each other. But in the nitty gritty of our relationships with ourselves and with other people and the people that we minister to, that there's no grace to be found. Because we are... Putting forward a standard that is not a standard of God, and I want to look at this. And this, what does that create? The law always causes performance, doesn't it? Performanceism is a mindset. And then, just listen to this for a second. Performance is a mindset that makes our identity and our value equal to our performance. Let me say that again. Performancism is the mindset that equates our identity and our value to our performance. Think about that. My identity, who I am, what I think about myself, how, and my value, how I value myself, so often is based on our performance, isn't it? That if I perform well, then I'm a valuable person on the team. If I perform well, then <clears throat> I, have, I have seniority or I have... Uh, an uplifted profile in the picture. But that's not the case because whether our performance or our accomplishments are good or bad, that is not the case. Performanceism casts achievements not as something that we do or don't do, but as something we are or we aren't. Let me say that again. That performance or performanceism Casts achievement, says achievement, is not something that you do or you don't do, but it's rather something that you are or that you aren't. For example, we could all day try to push this building and move it two inches in a certain direction. We could do that all day. Effort, performance, and try to make something happen. But it's, the reality is, is it's not going to move. There are things that people could be doing the right things all their life as a Christian, 
but there's, no, there's never any transformation or there's never any change in a person's life. The drunk can drink all weekend and then Monday cry and repent and then the same thing happens the next weekend. Why? Because the achievement is not the question. <clears throat> the question is, who is that person on the inside? And I don't want to get stuck there because I want to talk about this next week. But in the, there's three things about performance and then there's three things about grace that I want to talk about. Three things about performance. Number one, in the world of performance, success equals life. If you're successful, then you got the life, man. How many have, how many have know that? And failure is equal to death. Think about that. Failure becomes tantamount to death. Now, how many of you have ever heard on TV or in the news the a CEO of a huge company or a banker or a guy at Wall Street uh, loses all of his money because of a bad investment and he goes and shoots himself or jumps off a building. How often has that happened? Why does that happen? Because that banker or that Wall Street guy or that, that person of, of, of resources and wealth equates his value to what he has done or what he doesn't do. That's why suicide is prevalent, because suicides go up when society looks at a person's value based on their accomplishments. You ever see someone say, I failed and I feel like a failure, like a loser? Well, that's that philosophy of a person being valued based on what he can do or what he can't do. Number two, performance is, is like worship. When we worship at the altar of performance, performance makes us spend our lives frantically propping up our image or our reputations, trying to do it all and do it all well at the cost to ourselves and the cost of other people. Performance is really worship. And when we're worshiping at the altar of performance, and believe me, that is an altar in our society today, isn't it? Attain, succeed improve, get better, which are, you know, which are great. I mean, we don't, we want to grow, but not, be, not because of a, of a, of a, of a um, dysfunctional motivation. Worshiping at the, at the, at the altar performance uh, makes us try to, well, well, have us try to prop up a certain image. And this is why Facebook and all of these things, uh, there's a dangerous side to it. That I mean, I love the connection that I have with people all over the world, and it's edifying. But there's another side of social media that we have to be careful of, that we're always trying to portray the perfect picture of my family is happy, we're, we're, we are like, we're living the life, everything's going great. And every time someone looks at our Facebook page, they're going to see whatever, you know, like if my life is great or if my life is bad. And this is... This is really a dangerous aspect of what has happened in our, in our society. Why? Because performance always creates this need to try to prop up a certain image. And that could happen in a church. Like if in our church we did not have a grace environment, then we would have people coming into the church saying, you know what, if I perform, if I just do my best, and if I, if I just impress everybody, impress the pastor and the leadership, then I'm going to rise to the top and I'm going to be a star. Well, that's performanceism, and that's not how God works. That's the ladder of, uh, that's the ladder of success that's climbed based on talents and gifts. 
And number three, performanceism causes us to live in a constant state of anxiety. Whew. How many know what that feels like? Ever go to college? <laughs> Your parents spent a lot of money on you to go to college, and you get less than a perfect grade. And High schoolers, absolutely. And i got a great quote for you about that. That can happen in high school. A guy by the name of Richard Leahy, a psychologist, and he's a specialist in anxiety, was quoted saying, the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. <laughs> can you believe that? Wow. Average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 50s. Wow, that's amazing. You know what anxiety is? It's just, the, it's just the emotion of the absence of grace and love. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that anxiety comes when I'm suppressing something that I'm not allowing God to resolve through his word. Anything that's not resolved, in, anything that I do not allow the word of God to resolve in my life becomes something I suppress and it becomes anxiety. It just becomes anxiousness, nervousness. I can't relax. Because why? Because I'm not in an environment of love. And if I'm not in an environment of love and grace, and that's why we need this seminar next week, this next Sunday night, because we're going to learn about how being in an environment of love and grace, a teenager, a young person, a dating couple, a married couple, a grandparent, can grow and flourish. Kids will flourish in an environment where there's love and there's no fear of rejection and failure. And so why do people fear so much in... <clears throat> In, in, in a, an environment of performance. Well, it, it causes a constant state of anxiety, fear, and resentment until we end up a psycho case, heavily medicated in the hospital, really unhappy. You know, this is what, this is what performanceism does. So what is it? So what do we do? Do we, just, um, do we just kick back and just say, the heck with the whole thing, I'm not going to even try? Well, the world goes round and round and round, and the underlying message is always the same in the world. Accomplishment precedes acceptance, and achievement precedes approval. These are two things that the world is always saying, that if you accomplish, then you're going to be accepted. You're going to be accepted. You're going to be, going to be part of the group. And your achievements precedes approval. Why are people looking for approval? Well, a perfectionist is looking for approval because they may never have gotten it as a younger person, or maybe they feel guilty about their life, or maybe a perfectionist parent who takes their kids to every, every single event and wants them to exceed in every single event because they themselves are a perfectionist and they want their kid to excel, that because they don't feel that there is that level of love and acceptance that is such a dangerous environment for a kid to, to grow up in. In the church, or in a family, or at the workplace, if I'm a boss or I'm an employer, then I want to create an environment of love and grace so that people can excel. There's another word I want to look at here called conditionality. Uh, conditionality. <clears throat> you know, many athletes face performanceism, uh, and they crack. And uh, then they wind up doing really stupid things because they can't live up to the image that the media <clears throat> and that people are portraying them to be. 
conditionality is often the case with Christianity, actually. The Christian faith has often been perceived, and, and also it's been the experience of many, that it is the ultimate ve- vehicle of conditionality. A lot of churches are nothing more than just an environment of conditions. <clears throat> okay? Christians may talk about God being loving and forgiving, but what they really mean is, is that God loves and forgives those who are good and clean. <laughs> wow. You know, like, God's going to love you if you got your life together. But, you know, maybe there's people that are not here today that are in trouble in their life. And do are they... Is God as loving and forgiving to them as He is to us today? Yes, He is. Because we all stand at an even place according to David. And if we and, and the message of many churches is if you meet our religious structure of behavior and conditions, then you're going to be loved and accepted in this church. But don't embarrass us by doing something dumb in your life. Well, I'm sorry, but that is not the message of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's message was that I am going to do it all in John 19, verse 31 to 33, because you can't do any of it. <clears throat> we, can't even, we can't even do any aspect of our, we cannot in any aspect um, uh, secure our own salvation or even move in that direction of repentance. It's got to be God that, that gives us that sense that we even need to repent. It's such a, a salvation is such an act of God. It's unbelievable. Here's three things about um, grace that I want to say that that are just fresh that I, I've read and received this week. Number one, grace is a love that has nothing to do with you. You, the beloved, it has everything and only to do with God, the lover. That's what grace is. It has nothing to do with you and how you qualify for it. It was God who initiated his love towards us, that he sent his son. How was the world when God sent his son? What kind of state was the world in? What was the state the world was in in the days of Noah when God raised up Noah? What is the state of the world when God sent Paul into the nest of the Judaizers in uh, Europe that was just pagan at the time? How is that different from today? We may know a lot more about God, but nothing has really changed. God's grace has nothing to do... God did not, God did not send His Son because He knew that you were going to become a believer down the road, and that was a condition that He would send His Son. Do you know what I'm saying? you understand what I'm saying? Because if that was the condition, then I don't think anyone would be... ever would be... I don't think it would have ever happened. God sent His Son because God is grace, and He is gracious... And this is what a gracious God does. And God does not save you and then put you into a list of things that you've got to do now. Now you owe me. That's not the system. That's not the economy of God's grace. And let's look at it this way. Is that sometimes we look at our lives that we're living and the people that are around us. And it was so easy for us to get into this law of thinking that if I do this, if I achieve, then I'm going to get what I want. If I work hard, then I'm going to get what I want. And you know, there are people that have told us that all of our lives growing up. You know, when I was a kid, that conversation by your grandparents, it starts like that. But when I was a kid, you just know it's going to be, this is going to be an interesting conversation. When I was a kid, you know, we, 
I worked 100 hours a day, and I got a piece of bread for it. I was like, okay, great. You know, like, but you know something? In the kingdom of God, God can bless somebody without even lifting a finger. Why? That's grace. And this is the way God wants us to live our lives. Not walking around as lazy people, because that's not grace. Grace is when a person begins to believe that, you know what? God is going to bless us, because not only can we not do it, but... We don't want to do it, and we don't even know how to do it. God's going to bless our church. God's going to bless our dreams. God's going to bless our vision because it's not even ours to begin with to start with. You know what I'm saying? Like, I love the fact that, you know, we're here and that we're doing this because it was really God's idea, you know, and that God's going to bring things to pass. You know, Thursday night was my wife and I went out for our birthdays, and we were just eating and, and, uh, you know, we've been, there's some needs that we are just believing God for, like a new, a new blacktop here, uh, finishing the second floor and getting a cafe going. And I figured, you know, we need $100,000 for that. And that's just a big number. I threw it out there on Facebook and, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, great, you know. That's, I mean, we need twenty five grand for the parking lot, another twenty or thirty grand up there, second floor, and then God only knows what we need for the cafe. And I just thought, you know, <clears throat> God can do this, you know, because we don't, you know, we're not going to pocket them, and we're just going to put it into the church. And you know what happened? Why the, there was some people meeting here Thursday night in prayer. I got a text message from somebody, and it was just amazing. Somebody texted me out of the blue and said, um, how big is your parking lot? And it turns out it's a certain person. I, I can't get into it who it is, but it's a certain person that has contacts in the area here that may, you know, they may be able to help us with something. Talked with another guy who... Um, called me back later this week and he said, um, you know, I know somebody who's a believer in a very large company in the area that may be able to help. You know, the point is, is that church planting, mission work, uh, a missional church, our ministry is not performance-based. People do not get saved based on how much I evangelize. I, I love evangelism, and I, my whole life is based on it. But God is not going to use evangelism as a performance marker for people to get saved and to come into church. Do you know what I'm saying? Because if that was it, then that would be, we would be off, and our ministry would be just another version of works. We evangelize because we're just like, we're so in love with grace, and we just love, we just love God, and we can't help telling people about grace. And so grace has nothing to do um, grace. Grace is a love that has nothing to do with us. It has, it has nothing to do with... Uh, um, I like this. Listen to this. Grace is irrational. We're still on point number one. Grace is, an, grace is irrational in the sense that it has nothing to do with qualification. Grace is irrational because it doesn't have anything to do with our qualifications. For example, a grace situation. <clears throat> Peter, we heard... Pastor Adam mentioned it earlier. Peter the Apostle. Here's Peter, denies Christ three times. <clears throat> Jesus is looking at Peter to be the future CEO, the future leader of the Apostles. What does Peter do? He denies Christ three times. Not just once, not just twice, but three complete times. I would say, Jesus, I think you need to rethink your strategy for your future operation. Because he may be a little bit unreliable. <laughs> you know, Pick somebody else, like, you know, like John or someone else. 
Grace is a little bit irrational. And you know what happens? Many times it's given to the people that we would not normally give it to. It reflects a decision on the part of the giver who loves in relationship to the, relate, to the receiver, the one who is loved. And that negates any qualifications that we might have to get grace. God gives grace <clears throat> to us. And there's no debt, as we talked about last week, incurred. And number two, it's not given to us because of any qualifications. Number two, the second thing I want to say about grace is that grace doesn't make demands. It just gives. And many times it seems that it's given to the wrong person. Sometimes it's just the, it's the way it looks. You know? Sometimes the way it looks, that grace has got given. Why did that person get, 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 get grace when this person really could use it and they're doing so good? But this person is such a loser and they're losing all the time, but they got the grace. Grace goes, you know how water kind of just goes in the direction of the lowest point and just pools there? That's how it is with the grace of God, that if you pour grace into a situation, it's going to naturally go and pool and surround the lowest point. Because that's the way God's grace functions. When you are at the lowest in your, po- in your life, look to God, and that's when the grace is going to start pooling in your life. Look to God, and it's going to, let's not be surprised, because when we get to heaven, it's going to be just like it was on the earth in the ministry of Christ, that it was the publicans and sinners that heard him gladly. Who were the, who were the majority, it seems like, of people that were flocking around Jesus Christ? Just simple people like us. There was no professional Christians. The, the people that were standing off were the Judaizers, the religious mafia of the day. And that really was where grace pools. Number three, and I'm going to finish with this, grace offends our sense of justice. It, just, it can be offensive. You know, when we get to heaven, we're going to just see that the majority of people in heaven probably are just going to be very simple people like us, publicans and sinners, people that are just, it's going to be other people there too, but grace can be offensive towards our sense of justice. And it can really, you know, sometimes we see people get grace and we're like, wow, I was the victim in this situation and they got grace. Well, thank God that, you know, because in other circumstances, you were the offender, the other person was the victim and you got grace. And so let's not get offended by grace. For example, remember when the, you had these men that were working all day, certain times, parts of the day, that one worked all day, got a penny for his service, another worked half the day, and then one guy came in and worked in for like 15 minutes and he got the same pay. Everybody got upset at the, at the man who gave the money out at the end of the day, and the man, and the man said, who was really speaking of himself, Jesus, said, why are you, why do you call my eye evil when I was expressing good, when I was expressing grace? People will look at the grace of God and they'll be suspicious. I heard one preacher say, if you want to make people mad, preach law. If you want to make people really, really mad, preach grace. Because it's offensive. I want to close with just reading this verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 through 9. And I want to read it in the Amplified and just think about this, that, that, in our lives, do not fall prey to the system of performance. And if you're a person that's a high achiever or have high expectations and you're disappointed with yourself, 
you need you and I need to allow grace to permeate and to view our life that you know what God is going to bless me even though I may be the most unqualified person for this blessing. Okay? And let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7 and to verse 9. He did this that he might clearly demonstrate through the ages and that's eternity in heaven in the ages to come the immeasurable limitless surpassing riches of his free grace his unmerited favor in his kindness and goodness of heart towards us in Christ Jesus. For it is by free grace, God's unmerited favor, that you are saved, delivered from judgment, and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, of your own doing. It came through your, and it came not through your own striving. It is the gift of God, not because of works, not the fulfillment of the law's demands, lest any man should boast. It is not the result of what anyone can possibly do, so no one can pride himself in it or take glory in himself. Jesus came to set us free from the weight of having to make it on our own, from the demand to measure up. He came to emancipate us from the burden to get it all right from the obligation to fix ourselves, to find ourselves, to free ourselves. Jesus came to release us from the slavish need to be right, to be rewarded, to be regarded and respected, because Jesus came to set the captives free. And life, our life, doesn't need to be the tireless effort of accomplishment and effort. So in closing, I just want to make this practical point. Maybe you're endeavoring in something new in your life. Maybe you're in a place in your family or in your ministry where you're thinking about taking certain steps. You know what? God wants to bless you, not based on your performance, but based on your ability and my ability to trust in the grace of God. I want to walk, wake up in the morning and think, you know what? God's going to bless me today, not because not I qualify for it, but because he himself is gracious and he himself wants to bless why do some people really not have it good and some people have it good, it seems like, in the world? Because I think some people understand the law of grace. That God, when we discover that God is a gracious God, that he wants to bless us and to fill us, and, and this is what Jesus' message was, then we can discover something and commune with this, and we begin to walk in the life of grace. And we talk a lot about it at this church because there's so much brainwashing in the world that you're not worthy, that you're a loser, that you failed. And that's not the way God thinks. And so let's just be believers and take, take a moment in the morning and just say, you know what, I am going to be a greater grace believer in the grace of God. And I am going to receive grace in my life. And I'm going to trust God that he's going to bless because of his nature and because of his goodness. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your great grace towards us today.